Hey, everybody. The podcast today is going to be a little shorter than the first few episodes of Reckless Grace. After watching the listening habits of you, the audience, I realized I have an amazing audience. I mean, you guys stick with this stuff. And some of these podcasts are long, like two hours long. And it's amazing how many people actually listen to this. And But at the same time, I want to honor the people that just have a few minutes out of their day and can't get to the entire thing. I see an audience that'll stick with you for a two-hour podcast. That's gold in a world where it seems like most people have the attention span of a gnat. Unless, now that I think about it, gnats are especially attentive, and I just don't know that. I should probably Google that, which I'll do as soon as I get done with this podcast today. So, so this is an experiment to give you a short podcast, hovering somewhere between 10 and 15 minutes. Let's just see if I can actually do that. I'll just set a goal out for myself. This is going to be something that can get you out of the house with enough to meditate on and yet not enough to make your supervisor wonder why you're not more productive. Although you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast at work anyway. I'm only saying that because if right now your supervisor is like standing right behind you listening to me, that would be an eternally freaky moment. I'm sure that's actually happening to somebody right now and it amuses me to think about it. But if it's you, listen, I hope I hope it's not. But if it is you, I really hope you're not about to lose your job. And speaking of supervisors and jobs, think about two words here. Ready? Job and purpose. Now, if I were to ask you, why do you have a job? You would maybe answer something like this. For a paycheck, Bill, and aren't you depriving a village somewhere of an idiot? Uh, Most people, you know, listen, they work just enough to meet their basic needs and be broke, right? I mean, some people go above and beyond. Workaholics, I guess we would probably label them. But ultimately, we would agree this is the purpose of work, and that is to live, to pay the bills, to make ends meet. Now, is there work in the kingdom of God? Yeah, there is. So let's turn our attention there for a second to the work that we do in the kingdom of God. Not to get saved, but because of what Christ has already given us, right? So I get asked this question often, and that is this. What is the will of God for my life, or what does God want me to do? In other words, what is the job that I can do for the kingdom of God? However many ways you ask that question, it always comes down to the same thing, and that is people want to know what to do. Here's the deal, though. As Christians, we often have things turned around because for us, grace is freely given. Like the paycheck is freely given to you before you've ever done anything to earn it. And now our lives, any work that we do is lived as a response of gratitude for the gift that has already been given to you. But it's not a paycheck that you can ever live up to or be worthy of. It's more than really we could ever deserve in our own efforts. Still, we want to do something for the kingdom of God. So we focus on that task, the will of God, what God wants us to do, not realizing that in the doing, he is actually conforming us into the image of Christ. We think when we do things for God and we get them done, we accomplish a task, the purpose is fulfilled, right? No, it goes deeper than that. See, your purpose ultimately in everything that you do for God is actually to surrender to the voice of the Lord to continue to allow the Holy Spirit to shape, to mold you. The Bible says it like this, you're predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. That's Jesus Christ. That's the purpose for everything that we do in the kingdom of God. And at what point in time are you not in the kingdom? If you're in Christ, you're in the kingdom. So everything right now is 
ultimately meant to shape and mold us if we will receive it in a way that causes us to, to be pliable in the hands of the Lord. That's a surrendered heart. It's not a stubborn, rebellious, defiant heart. It's a heart of gentle surrender, ready to serve God. The Bible says when we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Beyond salvation, you embark on a quest that will entail a ton of different jobs, assignments, each one with a different description but a singular purpose, that you be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But don't get hung up on the job or the assignment. Just walk in the Spirit. And whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Knowing that in everything, God is ultimately shaping you, molding you, creating in you, that, that conforming to the image of Christ. Oh, listen, when you realize that, even the job of village idiot is okay. Welcome to the Reckless Grace Podcast. My name is Bill Vanderbush. I'll be right back. answer to much of the turmoil our nation is facing today. Have you found that the issues that 2020 brought to the surface have challenged your relationships? Perhaps it even destroyed some of your relationships. Join with Bill Vanderbush and co-writer Britt Eaton as they unfold the answer to these questions and more in their book, Reckless Grace. What is this grace that Jesus put on display and why is it even referred to as reckless? Many readers have found healing on a deep, deep level as they've applied this message of grace to their families, businesses, and marriages. Doors have opened for them in areas they never would have dreamed possible. It's time for the world to heal. It's time for reckless grace, the reckless grace of God to invade and come on in full force and be evident in his people. Reckless Grace is available on Amazon.com or Bill's website, BillVanderbush.com. If you've got your Bibles handy, open them to Jeremiah chapter 1. The book of Jeremiah opens with a recollection of the moment of Jeremiah's call. I mean, here's a guy who comes out of a really prominent life and he decides to surrender to the voice of God in his life. And when he does, he goes through a process of internal transformation that is profound. In Jeremiah chapter 1, he has a bit of a reluctant conversation with God, like a teenager with a parent. And God says this to him, do not say I am a youth. In fact, God tells him that what appears to be a fact is in fact not a fact. Ultimately, when God looks at Jeremiah, his eyes see differently. And yet his perspective is far more accurate. See, God's view and vision, uh, I think maybe to many of us, is, is about as foreign to us as a bikini in Baghdad and often far more shocking. Psalm 32 has a verse in it where, where God declares, I will guide you with my eye. Kind of reminds me of my mom at the dinner table many years ago. We think everything God does in us is instantaneous, but it's not. It's by process. And, and no wonder so much of his leading makes so little sense. Listen, as believers, we humbly succumb to be led by his sight. And when we do that, we begin a journey that boldly goes beyond the boundaries of normal thought, ideas, and action according to the world's standards. So I want to take a few moments and read a few verses out of Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 4. 
Here we go. Now the word of the Lord came to me, speaking of Jeremiah, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now think about that. God knew Jeremiah before he knew he could be known. And not only that, but God made the decision to actually consecrate Jeremiah or set him apart. You could say he was like set apart in a sanctified, set apart kind of a manner. Not only that, but he graced him with a call to an office. All of this before he was even born. The things you think you need to work to earn, you don't work to earn any of this stuff. All we do is surrender to a God who already has assigned over our lives destinies, plans, and purposes. And as we surrender to those destinies, plans, and purposes, the fruit of those anointings starts to come to the surface in our lives. So what's the treasure that God has put inside of you that hasn't yet come to the surface? When Jeremiah's mom was holding him as an infant, she was literally holding a consecrated prophet known by God. Before he ever did anything to earn it, before he ever did anything to, to step into the fullness of it, that, that anointing was already on his life. That's a stunning realization. What are the anointings, the words that God has spoken over your life that are being formed, shaped, and brought about in process? Jeremiah goes on here. He says, then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth. In other words, Listen, God didn't care about the fact of Jeremiah's physical perspective. He says, do not say I'm only a youth. God goes on and says, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I'm with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand. And what does God touch here? Look, in verse 9, he says, he touched my mouth. Interesting. The same thing happened to a prophet named Isaiah. Isn't that fascinating? Because so much of the time, the anointing of God begins with the consecration of our words. The Lord goes on to say to Jeremiah, he says in the middle of verse 9, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? Now, Jeremiah is going to give a couple of interesting words here and there. God's going to respond with a lot of information. Let's give you a couple of examples here. It says, Jeremiah, what do you see? Jeremiah responds and says, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord says, you've seen well for I'm watching over my word to perform it. How in the world did that come from just seeing an almond branch? See, God wanted to know if Jeremiah's sight was surrendered to see what God was putting before Jeremiah's face. And when God could see that Jeremiah's sight was aligned with his vision, even something as simple as an almond branch, then God could release a word of destiny over his life. I'm watching over my word to perform it, God says. Verse 13, the word of the Lord comes to me a second time and says, what do you see? Jeremiah responds, says, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Now let's just assume it's a boiling pot of water or soup whatever you would find in a pot. That's all he sees. Now, here's the interpretation of a boiling pot that seems to be facing away from the north. 
Verse 14, the Lord responds and says, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gate of Jerusalem and against all of its walls and around its cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself and work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and all the people of the land. They'll fight against you, but they won't prevail against you, for I'm with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Isn't that interesting? Because all of that came from Jeremiah just simply saying, I see a boiling pot and facing away from the north. All of that comes out of that one vision. But in the middle of all that, do you see what God says? God says, dress yourself for work. In other words, you're about ready to do something. You're going to do something with what you've just seen. Now, Jeremiah though uh, told in chapter one that he has the power to overthrow kings and kingdoms, what about his lifetime? Never really gets the chance. That power that God placed in him never seemed to get fully unleashed out onto the world, not in his lifetime, it certainly did after his lifetime, but in his lifetime, not so much. It's unleashed, however, inside of Jeremiah. For in these words, his heart is pliable to the Lord, and he ends up following the word of the Lord, and his heart ends up turning turning out to be the very kingdom that God wanted to conquer the most. So Jeremiah, who may have began as a man of power, pride, priestly position, turns into the weeping prophet. Now, these days you hear a lot of self-esteem style teaching in church regarding the authority of the believer that's been placed in our lives to subdue and to conquer kingdoms, and yet... Even though we have the power to release into this world destiny through the sound in our blood, we could say, yet sometimes in our heart, there are places that remain lawless and without restraint, unsubdued to the word of the Lord. And after reading Jeremiah, I've come to the conclusion that God is far more interested in taking the time and process to subdue the kingdom of a single man's heart than to merely use him to subdue what our eyes see as earthly kingdoms. In fact, those are kingdoms that are made by men and, as the scriptures say, are as dust before God. It makes sense when you think about it that the creator of the universe, the creator of the ones made in his image and likeness, he's far more concerned with his creation itself than what his creation has created like a child who comes home from school with a crudely beautiful sculpture of popsicle sticks and macaroni, and the parent admires it, but only because the child has created it. The artwork's destined for the trash can, but for now it just hangs in a place of prominence. The kingdoms of this world, they seem so prominent, unshakable, but in God's eyes, listen, they're as permanent as popsicle sticks and macaroni. Our destiny, your destiny, my destiny, however, is that the power of the Holy Spirit within us will eventually bring us to a place of surrendered submission to the word of the Lord, 
ultimately to the power of the Holy Spirit leading in our lives. And in that, we will realize the joy that in every moment, no matter of pleasure, of pain, of suffering, of difficulty, of the highest highs and the lowest lows, we are in that place of surrender to the word of the Lord, being conformed into the image of Christ. And that, my friends, that's a fact. And now I'm going to go Google the attention span of a gnat because I just got to find out. Thank you so much for your love and support. You make it possible for Bill and I to keep this message of Jesus Christ and our union with him and our union with others going around the world. We're thankful for every open door, not only in the United States, but in places like Ireland, England, Scotland, France, Germany, and so many more. We're always encouraged as we find fires of God burning in each place we go. We value your prayers more than you can imagine. If you feel compelled to partner with us, go to BillVanderbush.com. And we would love to hear from you. If you'd like to write a letter, please send that to Faith Mountain Ministries, P.O. Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. That's Faith Mountain Ministries, P.O. Box 595, Marshall, Minnesota, 56258. Let me take a moment to just pray with you today. I know I went beyond the 15-minute mark. I went two minutes beyond my goal, but here we go. Lord, I just thank you for this time today. And I thank you for every person that's hung with this podcast today and stuck with it from the very beginning. And Lord, I pray that you would cause us to continue in that process of growth, to be conformed into your image. And Father, we might feel that just the, the hands of, of your Holy Spirit upon our lives, shaping, directing us, the wind of the Spirit filling the sails that move us forward. Father, I pray that we would be pliable to your movements, your ways, your wind, your hands, your spirit, your voice, to let your sound guide us, shape us, mold us, fill us today with your Holy Spirit. Cause our, our attention and our affection to ever be on you. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace, your power, and your goodness in our lives. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. Until next time, may the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.